Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning into the Cajun Demonologist podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Leonard, the Cajun Demonologist. It is currently 1.20 a.m. Saturday, January the 18th, and we're going to do a podcast. Today's topic is going to be somewhat of a controversial topic. We're going to be talking about the Ouija board. Is a Ouija board really dangerous, or is it just a myth? So stay tuned as we dive deep into the rabbit hole and find out the truth about the Ouija board. We will be right back after this short message. All right, so the first thing we want to dive into is where did the name Ouija come from? Well, a lot of people think that the name Ouija is actually a combination of French and German. But, after doing a little bit of research, I have learned that that is not true. The rather disturbing fact is that no one really knows where the name Ouija originated from. I have to say, I find that quite disturbing. All right, so the next question we're going to ask ourselves is... When did the story of the Ouija board begin? Well, the Ouija board as the form that we know it as, with an alphabetical board and a dial, originated in the 1890s when two toy makers patented an alphabetical board with a dial and they named it the Ouija board. Now, this is actually from uh, the book uh, Occult America. But... That's only the tip of the iceberg because the concept of the Ouija board exists way back in ancient times. You know, back in ancient times, people were a lot more in tune to the spiritual world than we are today. In today's world, we have a lot of distractions such as computers, iPhones, iTunes, Facebook, which consumes most of our lives, it seems. Well, back then, the only form of entertainment that people had was trying to communicate with what they perceived to be their ancestors. Now, if you go back through history and look at different cultures, and you will see that every culture has a spiritual, spirit or a deity that they worship okay so let's go to the to the Cherokee Indians the Choctaw Indians here in America okay they believed in the spirit world very very heavenly let's go back to the ancient Sumerians they worshiped and believed in the spiritual world they worshiped ancient gods let's go back to the Romans uh, they worshiped gods let's go back to the Um, ancient Egyptians, they worshiped gods or deities. So all of these cultures all had spirits that they communicated with and worshiped. Well, in today's world, we're preoccupied with everything else. So we are not as in tune to the spirit world as your ancient cultures was. Come on over to Cajun Hut Jewelry and check out our new online store. Each piece is unique and handmade. Each piece of jewelry has something about it that says it's one of a kind. So please come and stop by at Cajun Hut Jewelry and check us out at jeremyleonard.net.
So when it comes to the subject of Ouija boards, the question is, are Ouija boards really dangerous? Or is it just a myth? Is there really a spirit that is mysteriously moving the dial on its own? Well, the answer to the last part of that would be no. A spirit is not magically moving the dial. What is actually happening is when you play with a Ouija board, you're trying to communicate with the dead. So you are allowing that spirit to channel you, to use you as an anchor, to use your body as an anchor to be able to spell out the words on the dial. And in my opinion, this works a lot better when you have two people using the board at one time because that spirit is able to channel both of your physical bodies to be able to spell out, you know, give you an answer to whatever question that you're answering. Now, the danger in this is that you are allowing a spirit to channel you which means that you are allowing a spirit to enter into your private space. You are inviting a spirit in. And that is very dangerous when you do that. Because if you think you're communicating with Uncle Joe and Aunt Betty, and you're not, then you are opening yourself up and giving this entity possibly a right to invade your personal space now the whole reason that i decided to do this podcast is because i was strolling through facebook okay like most people do nowadays right and i have a lot of paranormal investigators on my page and i read this one post where this certain person, and if you're listening, if this certain person is listening to this podcast, please, I'm just trying to make a point here. Nothing personal at all. Um, this person had made a post that they've been using a Ouija board in their home now for years, and nothing has ever happened. Well, that same person an hour prior had made a comment that the spiritual activity in their home is rapidly picking up. And it's almost getting to the point to where it's scary. So those two things kind of contradict one another. So me, I usually don't reply to things like that. I try to overlook them. But there are certain things in life that just really digs a hook in you, right? And you just can't resist yourself and you have to make a comment. So my first comment was, do you have any idea how dangerous it is to communicate with a spirit in your home, period? Okay? There is a difference between going to a haunted location and communicating with the spirit than being in your home, your sanctuary, your domain where you feel safe and trying to communicate with the spirit. It boggles my mind because I can't understand why someone would want to do that. Because the difference between going out on a paranormal investigation and communicating with the spirit, whether you're using a Ouija board, a voice recorder, 
whatever tool you use to try to communicate with the dead. The big difference is that when we go out as paranormal investigators and investigate other haunted locations, we are not in our personal space. So subconsciously, we have our guard up. And we usually do not go into a haunted location and ask personal questions about ourselves. Okay? We're going to ask questions pertaining to the, the location. Why are you here? What happened to you? Those kind of things. We're not going to ask personal questions about ourselves. Now, on the other hand, when we're at home, we feel that we are in our safe zone, our bubble. Okay, so we are going to be more prone when communicating to a spirit in our own home to get more personal with the spirit. And that is when it becomes extremely dangerous. And I'm going to tell you why. If any of you know me, you've ever heard me speak at a paranormal event. If you ever listen to any of my other podcasts, then you will know that demonic entities have rules that they abide by, okay? They don't call the right of exorcism the right of exorcism for no reason. So the right of exorcism is R-I-T-E, the right, which translates that an entity has a right to someone, okay? And through the right of exorcism which means expulsion, you are breaking that right that this entity has over a person or a place. Is any of this making sense? All right, so in other words, what I'm trying to tell you guys is a demon cannot see you walking down the road and say, oh boy, look at that, and I want to possess them. It does not work that way. I don't care what you've seen on TV. I don't care what paranormal expert XYZ tells you. That is not how it works. You have to invite these things into your life by what? Why do demons resent us in a lot of ways? One is because God favors us over the angels. Okay, we are his creation. We're his crown jewel. And two, God gave us what? Free will, right? Right. So, a demonic entity cannot possess you or come into your life against your free will. Doesn't work that way, all right? You have to invite them into your life by your own free will. Now, one may ask, how does this happen? Quite simple, all right, so there are different stages when we're dealing with uh, demonic entities, okay? You have infestation, which means that you have invited these things into your home or your life. Then the second stage would be oppression, which means that now this spirit or entity is oppressing someone, which means it's trying to gain a foothold on this person's life and eventually possess them. So in the very beginning stages of infestation, you're going to have all the signs of a normal haunting. All right. But not really because a demonic haunting is very destructive. All right. Perfect example. I've had a washing machine thrown at me from across the room. Now that takes a lot of power 
and energy to be able to do that. An earthbound spirit is not going to be able to do that. All right. Earthbound spirits have to pull energy from something to be able to manifest or communicate with us. Spiritual beings do not. They possess that with all within themselves. All right. So, but you have to understand that infestation is just the beginning because a demon does not want to haunt a place. That is not what they do. Okay. I always find it quite interesting, and, and I get this a lot, that, you know, um, I think I have a, a, an attachment or a demonic entity into my, in my home. Okay, well, how did it get there? Oh, I don't know. Look, number one, and let's make this clear, I always tell them, I cannot help you unless you were completely honest with me. That is the key. I have, you have to be honest. And no matter how embarrassing it is, you need to tell me how this ended up in your life because this I don't know thing, that's BS. You know how this thing entered into your life because you had to invite it into your life. Now, look, there are cases where these things are very, very clever. All right. So we invite this entity into our lives and um, we have all the signs of infestation. So, how do we let these things into our life? One would be the perfect example of the topic we're talking about right now, a Ouija board. All right? So, we are communicating with the dead. Anytime you communicate with the dead, you are taking a risk. I do not care how, you know, how much experience you have or, you know, I'm a professional. I've done this a million times. Well, guess what? It only takes one. It only takes one for everything to go sideways. And I always find it interesting when people say, well, if I ever run across with one, I'll just deal with it then. You have no idea what you just said. You have no idea the capability that these things can have and what they can do to you, your life. Not only you, your loved ones. Everything you care about, it can and will destroy if given the opportunity. And there's no magic wand that you can wave and say, shoo, shoo, be gone, demon, be gone. It doesn't work that way. It takes a lot of work, trust me. All right, so in general, let's get, let's get back to the top. To the topic in general, a Ouija board is just hell. Let's be honest, it's just a piece of cardboard and a wooden dial or a plastic dial. It's like anything else, it's your intent on how you use this that makes it dangerous. All right, using a, a, a recorder, a digital recorder, can be just as dangerous as a Ouija board. All right, it's your intent on how you use it. It's the protection that you have between you and whatever it is you think you're communicating with. Your protection is, is not getting personal. That's simple. That, that is what keeps you from entering into the rabbit hole, so to speak. Now, as I stated before, when we go to a public location and do a paranormal investigation, we are going to be more prone to not get personal with the spirit because we need to find out why it's there, why it's messing with the family that lives in the home or vice versa, right? But when we're in our own home, 
we're going to feel more comfortable. We're not going to ask, why are you here, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're going to kind of get personal with this thing after a while. And you're just falling right into that trap. So with that being said, a Ouija board is the same thing as anything else whenever you try to communicate with the dead. The only difference is, is that a Ouija board, is roots really goes back to the ancient times. And the Ouija board is also used a lot in the occult. The occult doesn't really use voice recorders and things like that to communicate with the dead, okay? They communicate with the dead in a verbal and physical sense, okay? So what do I mean by verbal and physical sense? Well, verbal would be communicating, asking questions. Physical would be actually using your body as a conduit for a spirit to take control and spell out whatever questions you're asking. So do you understand where the danger may come in this? So when we do an EVP session, so to speak, we're not allowing a spirit to use us as a conductor, as an anchor to communicate with us. They're simply doing it by voice. It's not a physical sense, okay? It's just a verbal. So we're still creating a space between us and the spirit. But when it comes to the board, well, you're using verbal and you're using a physical sense. So you don't have that, ain't that barrier between you and the spirit. That spirit is right up in your grill. You are allowing that spirit into your personal space. All right. You're allowing that spirit to actually take control of your free will. You have opened your free will up and invited it and said, hey, come on in here. Let's see what I got on the inside. Now, nine times out of 10, you're not going to be communicating with, you know, a demonic entity or something like that. Because in all reality, I'm going to tell you this, demons are rare. You don't run across these things every day. Now, I know in the world that we live in today with television, TV shows, and all of these things, we think that they're everywhere. Well, they are everywhere. But you have to think about this. The demonic realm has different ranking systems. So let's think about this in the military terms. You know, you have your foot soldiers all the way up to your colonels, your generals. So be it. This is the same way that the spiritual realm works both in the angelic realm and the demonic realm. There are ranking, different ranks. So if you have a foot soldier, so to speak, he's the, he's the bottom of the barrel. He's not going to have a whole lot of uh, power. Most of the power that they have is, you know, when, when we use the metaphor where we all have our own demons, right? That little voice in the back of your head saying, I'll do this or do that, blah, blah, blah. Well, that would be your lower ranking entities, trying to influence you, you know, by whispering in the ear. There, there's only so much that these entities can do. Now, when we get up into the higher ranks, well, these are a lot more powerful, and they could do a lot more stuff. So well, we happen to be that, you know, misfortunate individual that runs across a high-ranking demonic entity that we think we're communicating with. Well, he could do quite a lot of damage. 
Okay? He could just weasel his way right into your life. Then we have the signs of infestation. And all things in your house is going to go crazy. You're going to get scratched. You're going to get pushed. You're going to be pinned down. You know, you're going to have scratching in the walls. You're going to have scratch marks on you. There's all kinds of things that could happen. Well, after infestation, that's only going to last for a short period of time because, again, they don't want to possess your home or haunt your home. That's not what they do. They want to possess you. So the next step that they have to do is they have to oppress you, which means that now that you've invited into your life, boy, he's really studied you, really seeked you out. Now he knows what you cherish in your life and what you don't. So he's going to use everything you cherish in your life against you. All right? So at this stage of oppression, the haunting is no longer in the household. At this point, it revolves around a person. So when that person leaves the house, hey, that house is quiet. There's nothing going on. But that thing's going to follow that person and it's oppressing wherever it goes because what it's doing at that point is what? It's trying to break that person down, right? Spiritually, mentally, physically. Everything. Just completely break this person's will. Okay? So it's going to use whatever you hold dear in your life against you. I've had a lot of cases where a mother was being oppressed. Okay, and the entity used the mother's children against her. It would kill the dog, kill the goldfish, use the children against her, terrorize the children, things like that. Because what better weapon to use to break a mother down than to use her children? You understand these things has no conscience. We're nothing but rats to them. Okay? So they will do whatever they please to accomplish their mission. And what is their mission? Well, eventually it's to possess you. Now, let's make this clear. Possession is even rarer than actually coming across a high-ranking entity. I have done in my career... I have done three exorcisms and I assisted in two. So that makes five. How many cases have I dealt with? Okay, well, probably 100, 150. And I'm just being honest. I'm not going to say this big number. Oh, I've done thousands of cases. No, I've done about 100, 150 throughout my career as a demonologist. Okay, and out of those 100, there was five exorcisms. All right, now... After this thing breaks you down spiritually, mentally, physically, what's going to happen? Well, it has to have permission to possess you. Again, the question that you're thinking right now, and I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, who in the hell would give these things permission to possess them? Again, it's going to use whatever means necessary against you. To break your will. So, all right, let's go back to terrorizing the children. It's terrorizing the children. And it gets to the point to where you say, do whatever the hell you want to do with me, but damn it, leave my children alone. Bam, bingo. 
All right, home run. You just done exactly what it wanted you to do. It's that simple. All right, so back to the subject of Ouija boards now that we understand how they operate. Now, another thing it is very important to understand, and you see this a lot. Again, I blame, you know, the media, television, all of these different things. People always say, oh, my God, I've seen this demon, and they'd start describing what it looked like, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, another thing that blows my mind, so forget about what I just said about that. This will explain it a little bit more. Oh, my God, dude, look, I was at this haunted location, and I was doing an EVP session, and I asked this thing what its name was, and it said Satan, man. I was communicating with a demon, dude. What? No, you wasn't. First of all, a demon is never going to reveal its true identity unless it feels threatened. Okay? They are never going to reveal themselves because they do not want to be known. Let's make this clear. If you're doing an EVP session somewhere and you're talking to a spirit and it says it's a demon or it's Satan, Lucifer, whatever. It is not. They are not going to reveal themselves unless they feel threatened. And I'm going to tell you, they never feel threatened until an exorcism begins. That's when they feel threatened and that's when they will lash out at you. Okay? So, let's understand that. All right? Very, 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 very important. So, example, you're playing with a Ouija board. You ask this thing what its name is, and it says demon, legion, Satan. Well, guess what? There's a very, very good chance that you're just dealing with the a-hole spirit that just wants to get a rouse out of you because this spirit is a negative spirit. Now, Let's also make this clear. Just because a spirit is a negative spirit does not mean that it is a demonic spirit, okay? For an example, if you're a butthole in life, well, guess what? You're probably going to be a butthole in death as well. If you like playing tricks on somebody, well, guess what? You're probably going to like playing tricks on people when you're dead. It's that simple. All right, so, but at the same time, it's important to understand that if you're dealing with a negative spirit that's not a demon then it's going to feed off of negative energy. That's what feeds it. That, that's what it wants. That's the hunger that it's striving for. So, on the other hand, you're dealing with a positive spirit. Same, same, same rule applies. Now, it's also understand that demons are going to present themselves as something likable, lovable, Something that we do not think is threatening, such as a little girl, a little boy spirit. You know, we're not going to have our guard up when we think we're talking to a young child spirit. But it's just disguising itself. Why is it disguising itself? Because it is trying to get you to invite it in. Okay? So, as long as we can understand these rules and these concepts, then I will tell you that a Ouija board 
in general is not any more dangerous than any other type of communication equipment that we use. Now, with that being said, am I actually coming out and saying that it's not dangerous? Hell no, I'm not saying that. Because anytime, and I repeat, anytime that we communicate with the dead, we are taking a risk. All right? I don't care how much experience you have. You could have been doing paranormal investigations for 30 years. I don't care. Well, guess what? You got lucky for 30 years. There's always that chance that you're going to meet up with the wrong spirit at the wrong place when you're in the wrong state of mind. And a bunch of wrongs does not make a right. So, the origins of Ouija boards. Let's do a recap. Origins of Ouija boards first appeared in 1890s. It was patented by two toy makers. It was patented as an alphabetical board with a dial. But the word Ouija, a lot of people presume is French or German. After doing a little bit of research, I learned that that's not the case. The word Ouija, no one really knows where it come from. So that tells me that that word actually is an ancient word. It comes from, from the ancient world. All right, now, what are Ouija boards synonymous for, okay? They're used a lot in the occult, witchcraft, Satanism, things like that, all right? Why are they used in the occult? Well, as I said before, when we're using a Ouija board, we are not only communicating in a verbal sense but we're also communicating in a physical sense because we are allowing the spirit to channel us which means to anchor us to invade our private space and use our subconscious mind to move the dial to spell out whatever answer it wants now this rule applies with one or two people or more using the board I always find that, in theory, the boards work a lot better when there are two people involved. Because, and I'm going to tell you why, because when there's two people involved, one person doesn't know if the other person is really moving it to where they want it to be, and vice versa, the other person doesn't know either, so no one really knows. So that allows your the, the spirit to anchor, to use your subconscious mind to be able to do whatever it's wanting to do as far as communication. All right, hope that makes sense. It gets kind of complicated. Um, so, again, we're using a Ouija board. We're using physical and verbal. On the other hand, using something like a digital recorder, a K2 meter, things like that, well, that is just going to be a verbal thing. It's not really physical. Now, using a K2, it's physically reacting with the K2 meter, not you. All right? You're not the beacon there. The K2 meter is the beacon. That's where the communications come from. All right? So that is why the occult uses Ouija boards over other methods of communicating. So, Ouija boards, guys, is not something to take lightly. And look, 
If you're into that thing, you don't care what I'm saying because, look, you know everything. Look, you've done this for many years and never had any issues. Great, great, great. Awesome. I pray that you never do. I wouldn't wish that up on anybody. But at least I can have a peace of mind knowing that I tried. You know, the only thing that I ask is if you're dead set on using a Ouija board, please do not do it in your own home. That boggles my mind. I don't understand why anybody would want to communicate with a spirit in their own home. I just don't get it. For the life of me, I don't get it. You know, do you know when paranormal investigating, ghost hunting really becomes dangerous? When we become obsessed with it. When we become obsessed with a paranormal world and ghost hunting, communicating with the dead, that is when it becomes dangerous because when we become obsessed with something, guess what? We're opening ourselves up to it. It's done consumed our life. We eat, breathe, and sleep paranormal. That's when it becomes dangerous. See me? And I learned this through my work. When I approach a case, I know what can happen. Nine times out of ten, I'm going to deal with something of a very negative nature. And I leave my work at work. If I go to a case and I'm dealing with something, when I leave there, it's out of mind and out of sight. I do not think about it. I do not bring that home with me. And that's the way I protect myself. I do not bring it home with me. Just like you go to your job. Most people don't bring their job home with them. When they leave there, they don't want to think about it until they got to go back. Same rule applies here. You know, when we become obsessed with that in the paranormal, that's when it becomes very dangerous. Because these spirits seek you out. And they know, oh boy, look at this. This one's absolutely obsessed with this. So I got a good shot at succeeding with my mission with this one. That's where it becomes dangerous, guys. So, again, I beg you, if you are going to communicate with the dead, do not do it in your home. All right? All right, guys, until next time, this is the Cajun Demonologist, and thank you for listening. Take a journey with me into the unseen realm of the paranormal. See it through the eyes of a demonologist. You're listening to the Cajun Demonologist Podcast.